we find ourselves in um, the second part of our two-part series of what it means to be uh, faithful and on mission. And we saw last week where we were in Acts 16, 16, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they're on the Great Commission. They're trying to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're going to this place of prayer nice, by this nice kind of tranquil river, if you will. And all of a sudden, we, we talked about this, this girl, this slave girl, right? One who had a spirit of divination started to call out some truths. And it wasn't just one time. She continued to follow them wherever they went over and over and over again. The scripture said that Paul was greatly annoyed, as we would be too. And he sees this girl and he calls out the spirit and she's delivered. She found the freedom. And you would think that all which was right quickly went very, very wrong. All of a sudden, Paul and Silas, they're, they're taken and they're dragged into the middle of the forum. And it becomes this public spectacle, if you will. The justice that had been afforded others has been denied them. And even though that Paul and Silas are Roman citizens, it doesn't matter. There's this angry mob they're looking for something to happen. They're looking for them to be shut up. They're looking for them to be persecuted as Jews. And if you remember, Paul and Silas, there, there they are, wrongly accused, stripped of their clothing, severely beaten with rods. This punishment was so severe that it was illegal to perform on a Roman citizen. And you go, well, wait. But I thought Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. And you're absolutely right. It's something that they could have claimed. All they had to shout out was, Civis Romanus sum. I am a Roman citizen. You see, those three little words would have spared Paul and Silas the the shame and humiliation of being stripped and beaten for all to see. But they didn't. They didn't echo those words. Why? Why? Because they're faithful and on mission. They're faithful and on mission. They realize that claiming the rights of a Roman citizen would have likely delayed their mission, their cause. They knew that there would have had to been some paperwork brought for Paul or a witness from his hometown 700 miles away, and there they would have sat in a prison. But they had work to do. And you remember we said they took a licking and kept on taking. They moved on. They were willing to give up this temporary pain and shame in their life for the long-term goal of glorifying God. 
They chose to seek the kingdom of God no matter what. No matter what. And you'll see today that their steadfast commitment continues on. The story isn't over. It's going to require more patience and more pain. And so if you will, please open your Bibles to Acts 16. Acts 16, and we're going to be in verses 23, and we're going to finish up in verses 34. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's bonds were unfastened. Verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, and you and your household. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Amen? So says God's holy and inerrant word. You see, Paul and Silas endured many beatings. They're exhausted. Can you imagine the, the amount of blood that they would have lost during this ordeal? They're tired. They're lethargic. And although the initial shock of the beating would have tempered the radiating pain as the, as the shock starts to wear off, they start to feel it more and more. The throbbing pain as it resonates throughout their entire body and it starts to, to grow in intensity. And if being stripped naked and beaten like that in a public forum isn't enough, we see where the scripture says that the magistrates ordered them to be imprisoned. I doubt that Paul and Silas would have saw this coming. Why? Because it wasn't appropriate. It wasn't appropriate for the injustice that they received in the forum. And after they got the beating, it certainly wasn't appropriate to be put in prison. This was for those who were either waiting their trial or convicted 
of a heinous crime. But there they sit. It's further proof, church, that Satan is going to do whatever he can do in your life to challenge you in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can see it in this story. Verses 23, it said, They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. We're starting to see a transition of responsibility from the, the magistrates, right? They're relieved that they've avoided a public disturbance because they realize if they would allow this to continue, that it would have been them that was suffering at the hand of Rome. And they transition, transition it to this jailer. The jailer would have been a, a slave to the community. And his role and function in this is to, to make sure that there's nothing else that could possibly happen with these men. And you'll notice that the word says safely. Not so safely for them. What it means there is keep them secure. Keep them secure. Do what you have to do to keep them secure. And at this time, in Philippi, to keep them secure meant to put them into the inner prison and to put them in the stocks. You see, the inner prison was no joke. It was no joke. It's described as a filthy dungeon. Filled with the harshest conditions. You see, the goal of the inner prison was twofold. One, there was only one way in and one way out. You weren't seeing the light of day. That was one. And the other one was humiliation. Can you imagine the lack of circulation? The air moving throughout that place? All of a sudden, you have this soiled dirt, this revolting stench, a stench that only vermin could love, and, and believe me, folks, they did. They were right there in the middle of it. You see, only the prisoners who had committed the most heinous crimes in this community were sent into the inner prison. It was a den of violent, deviant men. And that's where they were. You see, it wasn't appropriate for what they were accused of falsely. And it certainly wasn't appropriate for a Roman citizen. And if it wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough, if it wasn't enough to be stripped naked, beaten, and now thrown into the inner prison, we got to do something else. We're going to throw your feet in stocks. You see, these lovely contraptions were a form of torture. One scholar says this. He says they were designed to induce painful cramping by spreading their legs as wide as possible. Imagine it for a minute. Put yourself in their situation. It's dark. The smell is unbearable. There they are beaten, battered, and bruised in so much pain. 
And now their legs have been stretched so that they can find no comfortable position. And even if they could, even if they could for a moment just try to lay down, can you imagine your back just being blistered open by the rods? Are you going to lay in the dirt? No. You know, and it's odd enough that their legs being put in these stocks that are causing them cramps is actually a reprieve. It's actually a reprieve from the pain that's radiating across their back. If misery needed a definition, this is it. You see, the suffering of the guilty is hardly bearable. But the suffering of the innocent is unthinkable. But there they sit. There they sit. I don't know about you, but when I place myself in that situation, I'm immediately confronted by what? Myself, I'm completely confronted by a lack of faith. These are the things going through my mind. What have I done to deserve this? God, why have you turned your back on me? And as you think about the, the jailer and the people of Philippi, how dare you treat me this way? How dare you? I can't wait till I get out of here. Because I'm going to meet you in a dark alley, and it's going to go down, right? Hell was invented for people like you, right? That's what's going through my mind. Any of those resonating with you? You see yourself responding a little bit like that? Praise God that this scripture is not focused in on that. Notice what happens next. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Let that sink in for a moment. You see, even though they had been in prison for 12 hours or more, enduring excruciating pain, what did they do? What did they do? It says, instead of leaning on their rights, which we're really good about doing, instead of complaining, which most of us are experts, instead of questioning their circumstances, which is probably something we do every day, instead of doubting their call and lashing out at the accusers, they devoted themselves to prayer and praise. And that's exactly what we would do, right, church? Yeah, where's my lawyer? Right? What an incredible example to us all. This is the embodiment of what we see in James 1, 2 through 4, when he says this, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Sanctification. Sanctification. God's purposes. Maybe not ours. God's purposes. And I don't know. I, if I find myself in Paul and Silas's situation, I don't, I don't think that the cry of my heart would be praise and worship. I think I'd be belting out some blues, yeah? Some real blues. I love this song, Albert King. He says this, born under a bad sign, been down since I began to crawl. If it wasn't for bad luck, I wouldn't have no luck at all. Right? Consider it all joy. You see, the joy is not found in the circumstances. The joy is in the one who controls the circumstances. That's where the joy is. You see, Paul understood this. They continued to be faithful and on mission. You see, God and his kingdom were on the forefront of their minds and the tip of their tongues, never doubting for a moment who was in control of that situation. They were faithfully praying and worshiping to what? An audience of one. Maybe they were singing Psalm 27.1. And maybe you should write down some of these scriptures that when you find yourself in a situation, you can repeat these. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 34, 17 through 18. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 56, 3 through 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Anybody needed to hear these? The last one, Psalm 91, 2 through 4. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and wall. How encouraging is that? Church, what is the song of your heart? What is the song that pours from your lips when you meet various trials and temptations? The question I have for you, is the song Christ-centered or self-centered? I don't know exactly the song that they sang that night. But what I do know is it was clear enough for people to hear it. 
And it came from a sincere heart. That's what I do now. What an incredible testimony. You see, church, the same is true with us. When people without hope, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, see us going through the trials and tribulations of this world, they are listening and they are watching. And the question is, is what do you want them to walk away with? What is that memory seared in their mind? Is it of praise and prayer? Or is it a godless attitude of distress and disappointment? What do they see? What do they witness? What do they walk away with? You see, God hears the cries of our hearts. He sees our situation and he is faithful. He's faithful to use that situation for his glory and your sanctification. Church, that's what it is. It's his glory and your sanctification. Well, people ask me, why am I going through this? His glory and your sanctification. That's why you're going through what you're going through. And what better way for God to show up and show his glory than an earthquake? Anybody feel the one yesterday? Awesome. God was preparing for this message. He was preparing. He was going to give me a real life illustration right there. Twenty-six. Suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaking. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. It was so intense. This earthquake was so intense that it shook the very core of the foundations and it opened every door and it unfastened every prisoner. That's big. But notice, an earthquake that large, and you guys have been through some close to that, it causes incredible destruction. It causes death. But notice that no prisoner was harmed. No prisoner was harmed. Every prisoner was spared without harm. You see, imagine yourself in that prison, Paul and Silas, they're unable to find any kind of physical relief or rest. They're praying and they're praising. Their, ha their hands are lifted high. Their lungs are full of worship. Their hearts are brimming with joy and their hands are clasping to their faith. They suddenly hear the rumbling and with smiles on their face and with tears in their eyes, God opens the doors. He breaks the stocks and removes their chains from the walls. You see, that which Satan tries to bind, God sets free. God is a God of freedom. But you'll notice here, the freedom of these two men strikes fear, if not terror, in the hearts of the jailers strikes fear and terror in the heart 
of the unredeemed. You see, you'll, you'll notice a dichotomy between the jailer and Paul and Silas. You see, the jailer was asleep, well-fed and free. Free of any pain and any suffering. Free of any worry, distress, right? He slumbers with his family. He slumbers peacefully. He has the assurances of man, the confidence in his government, the certainty of his knowledge, knowing that these men are locked into the inner prison and fastened securely. The disciples, it's quite the opposite. They're awake, hurting, and hungry. They can't sleep. They're unable to rest. They're in the midst of hardened criminals, but they pray, they praise, and they too find peace. A peace that's different than the jailers. A peace that surpasses all, all understanding. You see, for these men weren't looking for the assurances of man. That's not what they were looking for. They weren't looking for the confidence in a man-made judicial system. They weren't looking for certainties. Instead, all of their assurances, everything was rested in the confidences in Christ. That's what they God shows up, and what does he do? He moves in a mighty way. And it begs a question for you this morning. Where are you placing your assurances? Where do you get your confidence? Where do your certainties come from? Do you identify more with the jailer? Or do you identify more with Paul and Silas? It's a serious question and it deserves much thought. Because I don't, I don't want you to quickly think through your answer. Because I think we can make certain assumptions based on what we want the answer to be, not necessarily what the answer is. You see, the difference between the answer is whether you're a mature believer, an immature believer, or a believer at all. It's worthy of your time and attention. You can imagine the jailer, his, his certainty, his confidence, his assurance, they're literally shaken to the core. It says, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. For a split moment, everything that he held near and dear literally crumbled to the ground. His confidence quickly turned to fear, if not terror. His first thoughts as the jailer is the one responsible. His first thought is the prison. His first thought is the prisoners. He jumps out of bed and he just starts to run towards the prison. And as he's running, he's starting to experience fear, driven by the knowledge that the punishment for letting 
these prisoners go would be the equivalent of the punishment for the prisoner. And he's thinking through and he's running and he's thinking through all these prisoners. And all of a sudden he thinks of the people of the inner prison. And he's thinking, oh my God. There's criminals in there. They're going to have capital punishment. And all of a sudden, he's concerned. He's full of terror. He's full of fear. And, he's, and he arrives. And his worst fears are confirmed. The doors are open. The doors of the prison are open. And assuming the worst, assuming this, the worst, this man who, who had a family, a husband to a wife, a father till children is so desperate in that moment that he draws his sword and he's about to commit suicide. How fearful do you have to be to say, I'd rather take my own life than have them take it from me? That's fear. The shame of losing the prisoners, so unbearable. The punishment, so unthinkable. The only option to him in that moment was to take his own life. And meanwhile, right, in the meantime, while all this is happening and while the, the chaos is ensuing, Paul and Silas are what? They're there and they're calm. They're there and they're calm. Because unlike the jailer, they have no need for concern. Their confidence is properly placed. In Christ. And what do Paul and Silas do? They do the most gracious thing that they could do in that moment. As the jailer is about to take his own life, Paul and Silas yell out, Do not harm yourselves, for we are all here. We are all here. What comforting words to a man that was about to take his own life. But why? Why were they all there? Especially Paul and Silas, who have been completely mistreated up to this point. Why are they there? Falsely arrested, innocent of charges, dragged in the middle of the forum, beaten, the point that they can't stand, stripped, battered, bruised, beaten, taken to the inner prison, put into stocks, chained to the prisoner, the prison walls. Why? You see, these innocent, faithful men on a mission are suffering. They certainly don't deserve it, but they endure it. They certainly don't deserve it, but they endure it. They don't question God. They don't complain. They don't play the victim. But they pray out to God and praise and worship. And all of a sudden, as they are faithful and on mission, all of a sudden, God miraculously moves the earth. The doors are open. The restraints are released. These innocent 
men are now free at the hands of God. They're free, no longer bound or constrained, no longer subject to torture and humiliation. And it begs the question, what do they do? Do they remain or do they run? Do they remain in their circumstances or do they choose because of what God has done to run? Do not harm yourself. For we are all here. They remained. They remained. Is that what we would have done? Is that true of us? You see, here we are. We're, we're doing our best to live out, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our chief aim is to glorify God. We find ourselves in the midst of these trials and temptations. It's hard. Let me take that back. It's really, really hard. And all of a sudden, God shows up, seemingly answers our prayers. We can see a way out of our, our hardship and sacrifice. We see a, a path forward that leads to our comfort. So what do we do? Do we remain or do we run? We run. I've never seen so many runners. I being one of them. It's like a, a marathon of lukewarm Christians. That stings. Hurts, but it's true. You see, right now, here in California, we are on the front line. We're in a battle, not with flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. Not to, to mention, it's expensive to live here. Really expensive. Yeah, no, by the way. Our kids are being indoctrinated in the public schools. Our freeways are congested. Anybody experience any of this? And if that's not enough, you have to question your sanity a little bit. You see, we as Christians are, are the minority. We're seen as intolerant bigots, sexist, homophobes. Our world is getting smaller. And the more that we cling to Christ and his word, it even gets smaller. And we're tired, we're battered, we're bruised, and we're certainly broke. And all of a sudden, you look around, and just beyond the state line, just beyond the state line, you realize that there are places that are more affordable than California. You realize there are places that are maybe better for you to raise your kids Maybe places that conform to your political view that make it just a little bit easier to live out your daily lives. Places where you now become the minor or the majority. Places where the community is just opening their arms. So what do we pray? A lot of us pray for a way out. We pray for a way out. And all of a sudden there's a job opportunity. All of a sudden, there's a house that we can afford and a community that welcomes us. And we see it as, as God's intervention. This must be God. 
It has to be God. But is it? Is it? Because all of the things that I just mentioned have nothing to do with the kingdom of God and everything to do with the kingdom of you. It's getting hot in here. You see, most of the time we're consumed with ourselves, our plans, our purposes. Rarely do we step back and look at the situation, the larger picture. How is God using our hard situation for his glory? But instead, you know what we do? We, we try to find solace and comfort in what I'm going to call Christian adjacent idols. The idol of family. The idol of a lower cost of living. The idol of owning a home. A safer community. Living in a certain political climate. The idol of opportunity. And the list goes on and on. But they're idols. Church, I too found myself caught up in all this. Our company adopted a work from anywhere program. And I felt like it might have been that green light that I was looking for to pursue a home outside California. And there I was, right? I was looking for a place that shared our, our values and ideologies, I, a place that was affordable and a lower cost of, of living, a place that was more trustworthy, a right place for my family to grow. You see, I had a list. I was looking for something remote enough that I, that I could find some land and build a home, but I was looking for something close enough that I had an airport at least 100 miles away. I was looking for something small enough that I didn't have to deal with traffic, but I was looking for something large enough that I could experience the amenities that I had come to, to know and love. I wanted to experience these wonderful seasons, but I didn't want to deal with extreme weather. And the list just went on and on. And there I was. I was in the middle of the night in the glow of my iPhone, looking on Zillow. <laughs> hour after hour after hour, I kid you not, after hour, looking for this place. And here's the great news. I found the place. I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's my place. <laughs> but I found the place. It was everything that I was looking for except one thing, church. One thing. Do you know what was missing? God in the pursuit of his kingdom. That's what was missing in my life. I was not pursuing the kingdom of God. I was fleeing from my discomforts, my frustrations and life. I was pursuing a different kingdom. My kingdom. But God convicted me. And I appreciate his conviction. Because what I realized is that my joy and my happiness and my contentment were not going to change based on a new address. As a fallen man, as an extremely fallen man, 
I am the source of my dysfunction. I am the source of my dissatisfaction. And you know what I realized is that wherever I go, that's going to follow. I wasn't in need of a new address. What I was in need of, church, was a godly perspective and a holy pursuit. That's what I was in need of. You see, true joy, true happiness, true uh, contentment is regardless of our circumstance. It can only be found in the center of God's will, wherever that might be, wherever that might be. And I'm, I'm not sure where you're called to be. But I know this. Nowhere in Scripture can I find someone that was considered to be faithful and on mission by pursuing the comforts of this world has to offer. That's what I do know. You see, church, I firmly believe that God has called some of us to stay in California. No matter the cost. And I also believe that God is is and is calling people outside of California for his righteous purposes. But unfortunately, some who he's called to remain have ran in disobedience. And some whom he's called to run have remained in disobedience. It's not easy. And I certainly don't have all the answers. But what I do know is I know that God is calling us to pray and seek his kingdom, his will, his guidance in all things. That's the very essence of what it means to be faithful and on mission. For those of you who are seeking some of these issues, I pray that you seek out godly counsel. Reach out to pastors, elders, godly men and women. And invite them on the journey. Invite them in. But maybe today, your situation has nothing to do with the geographical location. But you find yourself in a painful or uncomfortable or frustrating situation. And you're praying for it to end. Everything inside you wants to run. But before you do, please, please pursue God in prayer and see what he might do to use you in redeeming that situation. You see, Paul and Silas could have run, but they remained. And because of their obedience, because of their obedience, even in the midst of when everything seemed to affirm that it was time to run, because they remained, what did God do? He used them as a vehicle to bring the jailer salvation, but not just the jailer, his entire family. You see, the consequences of Paul and Silas, their actions were eternal. Praise God they chose to be faithful in our mission. And what about us? What about us? 
This week, I want to challenge all of us, church. Ask the hard questions. Am I faithful and on mission? Am I really faithful and on mission? And if the answer is yes, praise God. And pray that you continue to be faithful and on mission. Because it's not a matter of one tribulation or one temptation. We're just going to keep praying. But if the answer to that question is no, I don't believe that I am faithful and on mission, then ask yourself, what is getting in the way? Give it to God. Pray about it. Bring other people in your life to hold you accountable to it. Because like I said last week, if every one of us are committed to be faithful on a mission, this church is very different in a year than it is today. This small church is going to be known for its impact of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in Corona, California. Amen.